who gather in the holy place bless the Lord all who call upon the God who saves bless the Lord if your sins have been washed away bless the Lord if you stand only by his grace bless the Lord bless the Lord oh my soul bless the Lord oh my soul and let everything within me let everything within me let everything within me bless the Beautiful name and bless the Lord. Join the heavens, let the earth proclaim, bless the Lord. His mercy is great and his love endures, bless the Lord. Our faith is strong and our hope is sure, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and let everything within me, with everything within me, let everything within me, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and let everything within me, let everything within me, let everything within me. something special this morning at all times at all times and isn't it fitting to bless the Lord I was thinking about uh, Psalm 122 verse 1 this week as we have noticed our pink bags we have family dedication this morning some gifts to give to some beautiful little ones 
But David said in Psalm 122, verse 1, that uh, I was glad when they said unto me, y'all probably remember this verse, let us go to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, right? And who is the they? I was glad when they said unto me, hmm, let us go to the house of the Lord. Friends, family, in light of today, I would like to think it was David's parents that fostered that love for the house of the Lord, for the Lord himself, for God's people. And so there are three families here today that echo that, that they want to, to dedicate their little one to the Lord and also their family in raising their child in the ways of the Lord, to love God's people, to love fellowship, to love being in the house of the Lord. And so uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce um, our little one here, Miss Morgan Brooks daughter of Joe and Leanne, and y'all, this is her first time she's been to, to church, her first Sunday, so she is so precious. And I asked the parents to just to select a life verse for their child, something that they will continually pray for throughout their lives, uh, and we also have a gift, so we want to start them off in the right way with a baby Bible, uh, a, a list of verses to pray for their child, and also some little index cards where you can write your own verses as the Lord lays on your heart to pray for her. You're welcome. All right. Yes, yes. Family, friends are here in the back. We're so glad to have you worshiping together and in praying for these families, as I call them up, and on the next 18 years of no sleep, and, you know, all the, the joys of toddlerhood and teenage years, pray for, for these families. Please pray. Um, and then Miss, uh, Miss Ella Ruby, daughter, youngest child of Kyle and Laura Manley, and brothers, Hudson and Oliver, I'm sure the brothers will help her open her gift. <laughs> but the baby Bible is perfect as it's got pictures and interactions, something that you guys can read with your girls now in raising them up in the ways of the Lord and helping them to learn to love God. All right, we, where's Miss Eleanor? Miss, Miss Eleanor Ann, daughter of Jack and Sarah Stevenson. The youngest of their four beautiful children, we have Abby and Emily and Amelia, our big, proud big sisters. Which one of y'all wants to hold the bag? <laughs> y'all come on this way so y'all can read. Oh, Jack. <laughs> y'all can scooch on. So these three families, we typically have family dedication once a year, so these kiddos were born and added to our nursery, so um, let's give them just a round of applause and, and just welcoming them. <laughs> Pastor Mark, we do want to have a time of prayer and commitment, and uh, Pastor Mark, I'm going to turn it to you. Um, I'm going to have the pastoral staff and the elders. Uh, you can even be shepherding elders. If you guys would come up and let's surround them and pray for them and commit them to the Lord. I know some of our, some of our folks are uh, out this morning, so uh, if you guys would come on up. I, it's so scary. I'm getting old. I've been here so long. I remember when some of the older ones were born. 
Jack, when you have babies, they all look alike, dude. They look like your wife. That's, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying, yes, it's good, Sarah. It's good. This is church growth. This is, this is what we love. Guys, let's get on the stage. Let's get around and let's put hands on their backs and, and uh, let's pray for them and ask God to, to bless them. Wait for Jim to join us. And our job, family, is to not watch them struggle, because they will, but to support them, to pray for them, to come alongside them. So let me come up top here, and, and let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you um, for the gift to this church of, of children, of family, um, of new children. And Lord, it is not merely the responsibility of these parents but it is our responsibility to come around these parents and lift them up and encourage them and support them. And, uh, and, 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 and Lord, there are going to be difficult days, and our job isn't to just empathize with them, but also focus them on you. And we think of these, these infants and these children, Lord Jesus, grab their hearts at a young age, as you did Samuel. Grab their hearts at a young age. Father, we pray that they would avoid some of the pitfalls that many of us stepped into, that you would protect them from this culture that is uh, depraved, that, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would come to live within them at a young age, that they would know you, that they would walk with you. And for mom and dad, Lord Jesus, may they walk with you. May they be filled with your Spirit and under his control. And may they walk with you so their kids will want to follow them. And for us as a church, may we walk with you so that these families will walk with you and these children will walk with you. I pray that you would raise up new ministers for these children, new folks that will come alongside them and support them. And Father, for the grandparents that are here, the, the aunts and the uncles, Lord Jesus, bless them as well and draw them to yourself. We commit these families to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. All right, as they make their way back to their seats, I uh, just want to say welcome uh, to all your beautiful faces. So good to see Jared's beautiful face. <laughs> if you're in the room, uh, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. Uh, we never force you to do that, but uh, you're more than welcome to stand and worship. Uh, if you're tuning in online, we kind of say this every week, don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning. Atoning sacrifice, keeper of this life. Hallelujah, you are Savior. Beginning and the end, forgiver of my sin. By your mercy, you have saved us. More than any other Hallelujah 
word together and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ.
lips up our hearts, oh God, we cry out to you. You have been so faithful in all that you say and do. Oh, how you love us and you forgive us of our sin and shame. At the cross you pardon all who call upon your Redeem, oh, you are our 
often amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean why stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me He took my sins and my sorrows He made them His very own he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Singing, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be.
guys can be seated. week and Christmas just a few weeks after that but the holiday season as you know is the time when we show our love for our church staff uh, by taking up a love offering uh, you know the last couple of years have been challenging in many ways but they've remained faithful to the Lord and to serving us and we just want to take this time to show our appreciation so over the next few weeks we'll be taking up a love offering for our staff uh, and it'll end on December the 12th, at which point we'll distribute those gifts to the staff equally. So if you want to take an opportunity to show your appreciation to them, there's some envelopes at the back table as you go out the door that you can uh, put a love offering in and just mark it as staff love offering, and then we'll collect those in the next few weeks and then distribute those to our staff. So it's a great way to show our love and support for them. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. If you'd like to just skip the staff and give it directly to me, W-I-L-K-E, and I can give you my address. You can drop it off at my home. I'm just kidding. Lighten up, everybody. That's a, that's a joke. So uh, what a great morning. Do you know in the past few months how many baptisms we've had of kids? What a wonderful thing. What a privilege the Lord is allowing us to disciple these precious young people and families. And, and uh, I just, uh, you know, the world, the world has changed in the last year and a half, whether you like it or not. And uh, people rotating out. We've got a lot of folks that are watching online uh, because of uh, they're nervous about COVID and they may be going through treatment and different things. And we just want you to know how precious you are to us too. Just because you're not in the room doesn't mean we don't think of you and love you and pray for you. And, and uh, so thank you so much for actively being involved in Carpenter's Way. It has been amazing over the last couple of years just to see how you give. Uh, regularly. Uh, I have, you know, some people are wondering how you give because we don't do an offering anymore at Carpenter's Way. There's a, a, an offering box in the entryway. You can give online uh, however you want to worship the Lord that way. But I just want to give a special note to those watching online. We do pray for you. And, and some of you write me and ask me questions, theological questions about something I preached. And uh, I just want you to know that you're very important to us as well. And uh, for you in this room, you get, you get more gold on your street for being in this room. And have an amen. Somebody amen that. So it's not true, but, you know, we like to think that. But there is nothing like gathering in person. <clears throat> and, and, I mean, you can get the message online and different things, but there's nothing like sitting around listening to people agree with each other in song and reading the Scripture together. That is just a special thing. So we want to encourage you to get here as soon as you can. We understand that you... Uh, you're, you're trying to be careful, and that's, I, we totally understand that. But there are other groups during the week, too, that you can meet with, uh, smaller groups, and, and uh, we would sure love to have you involved personally with people as well. So I do have a few announcements I need to make, because we've got a big couple weeks coming up, and then I need Julie, is somewhere in the room, she asked me to make an announcement. John, welcome home. Man, just in time for the staff offering, John, just in time. So we, I'm going to give you a special hug a little later. And, uh, but John, John is kind of a wayward southerner. He lives up north when it's hot. He's kind of a baby. And uh, then he comes back. There's like a degree, right? There's a, you, when it hits 70 or something, you come back down here. So you avoid this. Though. We're so glad to see you, though, buddy. And uh, anyway, so good, good to have you back, John. Okay, so for a couple of minutes, this is, uh, we don't do a lot of business at Carpenter's Way, but once a year we have an annual business meeting. And in that business meeting, we vote on uh, new church officers for the next 
three years or as the case of an elder, next six years. Uh, that will be happening tonight. Also, the next year's budget. That information is out there on the welcome area. It's at 5 o'clock tonight is our meeting. We have encouraged you the last, it's been out for the last two weeks, and we encourage you to ask questions before tonight's meeting. We like it quick. Uh, uh, the, there will be no questions entertained at the meeting about those who are nominated for positions, church officers. We find that that would be, um, well, those questions are valid, and you need to ask them personally so that it doesn't discourage someone or hurt their feelings or blah, blah, blah. But having said that, uh, we will open the floor for questions on the budget. We, we still encourage you to ask beforehand, but that will be tonight at 5 o'clock. It usually lit literally lasts from 5 to 5.15. But we encourage you, if you're a member of the church, to come on out. If you're checking the church out, come see how we do business. It's not a complicated thing. We come in, we open the door floor for questions, we answer them, and we vote. So that'll be tonight at 5 o'clock. Um, I, I, I also want to mention, if you carry a pink cell phone and you have lost it, it's at the security table back here, and uh, we're going to take pictures of you as you get it. So you lost your phone. So that's out there. And Julie wanted me to mention that there is a women's Bible study. There's a women's event coming up, a women's Christmas event. She just whispered in my ear as she left. And, and, uh, so ladies, you need to sign up for that. What am I missing, hon? It's a women's Christmas event, right? Tuesday, December 7th. Yeah, sign up. Good. You're still married? You're still happy with me, right? Thank you. Good. Um, okay, last thing. And, oh, remind me, we want to pray for uh, Cassidy today. Cassidy is our missionary to Haiti, and it's getting worse, as you know. She lives uh, away from the city in an urban area uh, and is away from any of the danger she's told us. But the problem is that now there's gas rationing, and the U.S. government has asked all U.S. citizens to leave the country. Uh, and as you know, as we've talked about, missionaries don't often listen to the U.S. government when it comes to that, nor should they necessarily. But we need to pray for her for wisdom. And she just got married two weeks ago. And her husband is a Haitian national, right? So let's be praying for them. She's got a kid and a lot going on there. So let's keep her in our prayers. Okay, so we'll pray about that in a moment. The other thing I want to mention is a week from Monday, we start collecting Operation Christmas Child crates, okay? Uh, this is like the biggest mission activity we do every year as a whole family. And uh, basically, we are the regional hub for Operation Christmas Child Collection. So while in 50 miles, in, basically 50 miles in every direction, most communities have a place that is collecting boxes. They put them in the crates, and then they bring their crates to us, and then we put them on a semi-truck a week from Monday. So... Let me explain. Not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow we start, and then it goes for seven days. And so two... Starts tomorrow, like I said. We're very excited. Because that would put us during Thanksgiving. You expect way too much from me. Uh, so it starts tomorrow. So we... And, and there's been a... <laughs> Erase, 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 erase. So there's been a sign-up out there. As you walk by, we need you to sign up. We especially need strong backs on a week from tomorrow when we load the semis. So please, what am I missing, Chas? That's good. I did an excellent job, didn't I? 
This is why I need a Christmas gift. <laughs> so that starts tomorrow. It's so important, you guys. Listen, um, we get to disciple our families. We've seen kids baptized this last year. We've seen teenagers give their lives to Christ. But this is a way that we help pastors across the globe disciple their kids, their families. Uh, and as you know, and I haven't talked much about it this year, I had the privilege about six or seven years ago to actually go on a distribution in Panama. It is amazing what God does in those. They present the gospel there, and then starting the following week, everybody who got a gift is invited to come back and go through 11 week of discipleship. The, the day that they get the gifts, it's called the greatest, uh, the great story, the greatest story, and that's about Christmas, Jesus coming to save you. And then after that, the disciple is called, discipleship is called the greatest journey. And Surely you understand that. So that is why we do this, because it helps pastors learn how to disciple and all. So that starts tomorrow, and we need you involved. You can bring boxes by. You can get online and buy them. Uh, if, even if you can't afford it, you can come and volunteer and receive boxes, and we'll do all the training with you and everything. So please, 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 on your seat is this. Uh, is there anything else, Chas? I... Okay. All right, we can email you out. If, uh, we will use our email and text messaging as we have updates for you all uh, this coming weeks uh, as we think of things we forgot. So make sure that if you are part of Carpenter's Way, even online, if you will let us know your email and your cell phone number, we'll keep in contact with you. And you can send it to mark at cwbc.org, carpenterswaybaptistchurch.org, and I will make sure it gets to the right people. But, but that's how we're communicating now in this time with you. So make sure we do that. If you're in this room and you want to know more about what's going on or you want updates and events, uh, my dad and, and my Karen, who is my mama Karen, she, they're at the table immediately following the service, and they have a little card you can fill out, and we'll make sure that you get in our database so you can get that. What am I missing here? There was a lot of new stuff I need to mention. We're going to pray for Cassidy. Am I missing anything, you guys? Good. I didn't think so because I'm near perfect. So <laughs> just, just kidding. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and I thank you that we can sit here in our living room this morning and learn about you. We can sing songs about you. We can dedicate our families to you. We can look at each other in the face and say, we're going to pray for you. Lord, but we're, we're surely aware that we're not the only place doing this this morning. There are, there are churches in this community that love you and know you through your word. There are churches across the globe that are meeting, and some are meeting in very scary circumstances. And one of those is Cassidy. And we pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would bring her peace and comfort and wisdom into, into know uh, as she and her husband talk about what steps they need to take in the coming days. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give her extraordinary wisdom and confidence from on high. We pray that you would protect her. Uh, Father, for Operation Christmas Child, as it begins tomorrow, we pray that you would uh, just bless our efforts, bless those who volunteer, bless those who give gifts, but mostly, Father, May we be faithful to our calling to you, and, and uh, we do love you, and we're thankful for you, and it is our prayer, Lord Jesus, that we would respond to your grace by loving others as you have loved us. So we commit our time to you now, Lord Jesus, and I ask you to speak to us this very, very important text. In, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So I, I want us to jump directly into our text this morning because time is fleeting, and, and I want to pick up where we left off last week because this text, we are going to be this morning at the end of Galatians chapter 5. For those of you who have not been with us, we are doing a study right now, an exegetical or verse-by-verse -verse study to discover what Paul is saying to the churches, the believers in Galatia. So we have started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going through, and we find ourselves at the end of chapter 5 today. 
And the end of chapter 5, as usual, is a continuation of the first half of chapter 5 that we studied last week together. So I, I, I just want to jump in because this week's text, and let me give you a little heads up, this week's text is a huge point that is missed in the church today. And I'll explain why in a few minutes. But I think even if it's not missed, I think it's ignored because we don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to try to answer all those questions for us this morning as we work through Paul's teaching in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And this was the end of last week's study together, the end of last week's text uh, and it, uh, I entitled it an Upside Down Freedom, and I encourage you to go back and watch that. It's on our website, because it's really important that you understand this freedom. Some translations take Galatians 5.1, and it says, for freedom's sake, you have been set free. And the ironic part is that's exactly what the Greek says. It doesn't say you've been set free from sin. It doesn't say, or to, uh, from, from not, uh, yeah, it doesn't see, say you've just been set free from sin. It doesn't say you've been set free now to be religious. It just says you have been set free by Jesus, and it's talking about the need to save yourself. And because we no longer have to worry about ourselves, which is opposed to much of the modern day Christian teaching, which is you better be better, you've got to stop sinning, you, you, you. Instead, it's now that you don't have to worry about yourself, you have been set free to serve one another in love. And that was basically what we studied last week. Paul is now, though, in this part of the letter, he is about to turn the focus of his letter. In the first, most of this, in the first four chapters, until chapter 5, uh, Paul has been writing about how a person is saved, or better yet, how is a person adopted into the family of God? How do they become a child of God? And so it's been how we're saved. And we learn that the only way to be saved is not by being religious or being Jewish or being circumcised, but actually through faith in Jesus Christ alone, in His work, by faith in Christ. The, the truth is that, that Christianity is not about morality. It's not about America. It's not about how you feel. It is about a right relationship with God. And the reason that you can't do that on your own is because if you started today to live a sinless life by the law, you already have at the core of your being, you've already blown it. It's like, it's like and, I, and I love this example, so I overuse it, but it's really important. It's like making an omelet that looks glorious on the outside, and it has all of the things you love in an omelet, but the problem is one of the four eggs you ate, yeah, I, I like big omelets, but one of the four eggs you use to make that omelet is rotten. You're going to end up with a problem no matter how beautiful it looks. And that's the problem with, with religiosity. It teaches you how to be good. The problem is all you're doing is piling good on top of the problem. I don't care how long I live. I have traveled and done mission work all over the globe. What a privilege. But one of the things that happened is I don't care how much chocolate you put on a cricket. I want nothing to do with it. I just don't. I don't care if you chocolate coat a bat. I'm not eating that bat. Well, you'll starve to death. Other cultures, I don't care about all that. I'm not eating a bat. And that's what we try to do with ourselves. That's what religion does. It tries to put chocolate on top of a bat. And the problem is, you can't change what's at the core. Only Jesus can. And one of the things we studied is 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, He became the sinfulness of man so that man could become the righteousness of God. And I was imputed. It was 
thrown upon me his righteousness. And I stand before you today, today, not as a sinless man, but as a holy man. Not because of my title or because of my training, but because Jesus Christ declared me such when he took my sin in his body on the cross. And the problem is uh, that sometimes we forget that. And now because of that, we have been called, verse 13, you have been called to live in freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from religion. Freedom from self-obsession. We have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Well then, Paul, what should we do with our freedom, Paul? What should we do? Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring each other, watch out. Beware of destroying each other. Now, if you're paying close attention to the context of this letter up to now, you're sensing that Paul is beginning to change the conversation to how a person is saved to now the impact on a saved person's life. That's what he's about to get into or has started the conversation in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So now that I'm set free, he's saying, don't let your, your freedom drive you back to the flesh, to sin, to engage yourself. Instead, serve others in love. How do you do that? By, let, uh, by letting the Holy Spirit, verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then, important connection word, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Talk to us, Paul. Explain. What are you talking about? Well, the sinful nature wants to do evil, verse 17, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to do the law of Moses. However, verse 19 When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, just as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. More on that in a moment. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature, of their flesh, to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living in the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So I want you to take a breath, and I I know you've heard this text, and I want you to take it in for a second. Just think about it for a second, and I want to tell you something that you're going to have to think on, okay? I'm I'm, going to use big words, but this is one worth writing down. Sanctification without justification by God will lead to condemnation. So, for those of you who are just learning the things, Scripture, the word sanctification is a biblical word. It's the same Greek root that we get the word sanctuary from. It's the same Greek word that we get the word holy from. It just means set apart. Set apart. 
set aside for something specific. Sanctification is the process by which a religious person or Christian grows up in the things of God and becomes more like God. Making wise choices. Making better choices. You get that, right? But sanctification, trying to do all those good things without God's justification actually will lead to condemnation. In other words, a changed life, even a religiously changed life, without God doing the changing, will still lead you into eternal separation from God, only more as a more disciplined and clean individual. It may even improve your life, but if God isn't doing the transforming, then it's done in the flesh, and it's just a different version of the same problem. And that's one of the things that's confused in the church today, and it's confused time 10 in the churches of Galatia. Because they, in their process of sanctification, are trying to become more godlike by learning and memorizing the Ten Commandments and by becoming circumcised. These were Gentiles who were trying to become more godly by human effort. And that's why Paul says, this is not the gospel at all. Sanctification. Righteous living, moral living, without the Holy Spirit doing the changing, was being taught in the churches of Galatia. When Paul had come to them and told them about salvation or adoption into God's family through Jesus Christ alone, they embraced it with joy. But after that, it felt like it was lacking. To just depend on God for transformation, I've got to help Him. Which, by the way, is exactly what people have been doing since the Garden of Eden. I want to remind you that when Eve saw the fruit that she was told not to eat, it says that when she looked at the fruit and it was desirable to make her wise, she took the fruit and ate. She wasn't in blatant rebellion. She was just in disobedience. And sometimes they're not opposites. God said, just don't eat of that tree and I'll take care of you. Eve's flesh said, I want to take care of myself. That's the problem with religion, even, even Baptist, Assembly of God religion, evangelical religion. You get taught how to be a better parent. You get taught how to be a better virgin. You get taught how to whatever. And the problem is, as much as you're taught that, if it's, if it's done in your own flesh, it's not God doing the doing. And that is not what the Scripture teaches. Galatians 5.4, look at this verse. If you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from the message of God's grace. Wow! Romans 3, 20-22 is absolutely also clear on this point. And while I'm confident you have heard this at least 900 times, this must not only be our understanding, but it must be our obsession. Our job as followers of Jesus is to contend for the faith. In other words, not let it slippery slope away from the gospel, salvation through faith in Christ alone. In Romans chapter 3, 20-22, Paul says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. 
So let me be as clear as I can if you are seeking a right relationship with God. Actually, let's let Jesus be clear on my behalf. John 14, 6. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to my Father except through me. There's no other way. And doing it in the church that has a cross in the corner isn't doing it through Christ. It's doing it through that church. He is saying, I'm the only way. He goes on in this text to say that there are many within the flock, but they, are, they came over the wall. They didn't come through me as the gate. They came over the wall, and they're, th- they're thieves and liars. This is why what you believe matters. This is why what we teach, what we study together matters. Because God's not concerned with your morality. He's concerned with your soul. He's concerned with the salvation and adoption of you into His family. That's what His first and primary concern is. And too often in the church today, our concern is that you have your best life now. That you feel good about yourself. Even our doctrine about Jesus has been turned into a doctrine of of, of humanness. You are more beautiful to God than you ever can imagine, so you should feel good about yourself. How about if we said, it doesn't matter how ugly you are, God loves you anyway. He loves you more than the man of your dreams could ever love you. He loves you enough to kill his son so that you could be in his family as ugly as you are. And I know that's kind of weird to hear, but that is the gospel. The gospel isn't, oh, you're pretty. Don't feel bad about yourself. The gospel is, maybe you should feel worse about yourself than you already do. We're here to tell you that the God of the universe who created you, who knows you inside and out, who watches you in the dark of night, that there's nowhere you can hide from him, he still looks at you and says, I want a relationship with you. That is the best love you could ever imagine. Single ladies, seek your eternal groom before you find a human one. Those of you who are in difficult marriages, seek a relationship with your eternal groom and find your satisfaction in him. Men who are in marriages that are difficult, seek a relationship with your eternal father. That is the only thing that satisfies. And it's kind of in the church, I get concerned sometimes that we've turned this into a conversation about how to have a better life. This is the difficult life we live. This isn't new either. In Galatians 5.16, Paul says, how should we then live now that those of us who are saved through faith in Christ alone, now that we agree with that and we've done that, how should we live now that I'm set free, I can just go on with my life? We're going to talk about that next week. That's that's next week's message. We're going to go out of Galatians next week, and we're going to talk about this pendulum. I'm free. I'm free. I can smoke like a smokestack. I know you're going, oh, he's going to come back on us. No, I'm not. It says you're free. But Paul's exhortation in this passage is not to indulge in your freedom. It's Galatians 5.16. This is the key. So I say, because of everything I've taught up to now, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Don't let the Hebrew law guide your life. Don't let your flesh guide your life. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You know, salvation and sanctification, it's not complicated. It could just be unsatisfying at times. Because what Paul is saying is you're not the one who makes yourself better. The same one that saved you is going to change you. And we find it, well, let me tell you how deep this goes. Even if you say, well, that's not how I live. 
Does anybody remember what it's, it's called the Protestant work ethic? It's been around since 1777. Does anybody remember what it is? The Protestant work ethic? God helps those who help themselves. Wow. Thank you, deist Ben Franklin. The truth is, that's not what the Scripture says. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who desperately seek Him. God takes our weakness and makes it into His strength. And I don't think most Christians even know it. We're so busy being about personal responsibility in our country and in our state. And I get that as it relates to, you know, how we raise our kids. You know, we're trying to raise kids that are effective. But when it comes to spiritual things, you need to understand, God doesn't help those who help themselves. He waits for them to land on their face and cry out to Him for help. The Protestant work ethic is a lie from hell. Because the more Satan can get you and I to believe in our own ability, the less we think about God. And I believe that the modern church in this country, in this culture, does have a place of respect for Jesus Christ, but he is not preeminent in everything we believe and teach. And that's what Paul is teaching here. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And I'm not making this up. If you said to me, well, pastor, I'm struggling with pornography. How do I overcome that? Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. If you have a problem with alcohol, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. I am not saying you shouldn't go to a 12-step program. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek professional help. Sometimes things get so deeply ingrained in our flesh, we've got to learn physical techniques to overcome that first temptation. But it is God that makes you holy. And that's what he's talking about. The battle of the Christian life, my friends, and this goes against most of what I was taught as a child in church. That's what's so weird about this for me, is most of the time uh, the pastor would get up and he would have a theme. We would be in Ephesians and it would talk about sexual sin and he would talk about sexual sin, right? And then at the end it would be, now stop it. If you are engaged sexually, ask forgiveness and stop doing it. Does that sound familiar? The problem is, this is not what that says. How do I overcome my flesh? By following the Holy Spirit. Wow, and most of us just thought he was a worship leader or a convictor. This is saying that he's the impotence for transformation. He's the guide. If the law... Now, now for those of you who've been legalistic, I want you to think about this. This is... Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is the replacement for the law. So if, if you are bending legalistic and you like the Ten Commandments because it gives you guidelines with which to live, I'm here to tell you that that is, a, that is a lame, impersonal substitute for what God has given you, and that's the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want you to follow the Ten. He wants you to follow Him every moment of every day. And the problem is with the Ten is it just tells you what not to do. It doesn't tell you how to interact. I grew up being taught that I should not go to bars because drinking was a sin. The problem is, there were always a question with somebody in my church, well, my brothers won't talk to me about God, the only, you know, but he invites me to the bar. Nobody ever said, well, go to the bar and have a cup of coffee. And by the way, drinking isn't a sin. Now, for some of you, you shouldn't touch the stuff. But the Bible never says drinking's a sin. In fact, it says we're going to do a lot of drinking in heaven. I know, that's Jesus juice. Relax. The truth is, we have turned this into a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a theme of every message, and you go, you walk away going, well, those gays, I hope they listened. I'm sure glad I'm not gay. We've even turned, oh my gosh, we've even turned the biblical definition of marriage to be between a man and a woman 
And that's not the biblical definition of marriage. The biblical definition of marriage is between a godly man and a godly woman. I mean, we, we, we've, we've so lowered our standards, we're like, well, at least, at least they weren't gay. What, what does that mean? The, the truth is that we need to be following the Holy Spirit. And, and, well, what does that do when I struggle with sin? Well, if you obsess over the Holy Spirit, guess what you're not looking at? I used to be part of groups that were accountability groups. And they involved porn and different things. Guess what we did an hour each week when we met? We all talked about our struggle with this thing and very little about God. The last five minutes we would pray for each other. But the accountability, all we talked about was that. And every week, the longer we went, somebody, oh, I fell this week. That's okay. Let's all hug. You know, guys, come on. It's going to be okay. And thank God for grace. And then we'd high five each other and then we'd talk about football and go home. The problem was that answer to that problem is the Holy Spirit guiding your lives. Well, Pastor, that's a spiritual statement I don't understand. We'll get there. This is not even the only place Paul talks about this. Ephesians 5, 15 to 18. Look at this. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in the evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, pause. We all, this is all like, oh, see, Pastor? You knock it off. Those are knock it off messages. Actually, the next line is the important one. Instead of living like that, be filled, or the English translation is better than filled, is under the control of the Holy Spirit. How do I not do those things? By being under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit's directing you, you're not going to be sleeping with somebody else's wife. Right? Well, I can't be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Then you're not saved. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. We'll keep moving. Romans 8, 2-14. Because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I'm freed. I get to choose. I don't have to choose sin. The law of Moses was unable to save us because the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, in your flesh you can't do anything. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in, in, the body like, uh, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the... There it is again. Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Are some of you freaked out right now at what's going on in the world? You lack peace? That's because you're not thinking about heaven and God and the Holy Spirit controlling you. You're worried about politics. I get it. There's a lot to be freaked out over. Unless you're following the Holy Spirit and you know He's in control and you don't have to worry about it. And when I start to get anxiety, I just go back to God. And some of you, I know online, you're going to write me and what you always do. So you're not worried about the country. You're going to just let the country fall. Well, I didn't know I was holding it up, first of all. And second of all, that's an awful arrogant statement. I mean, was I maintaining it? By being mad? And was the knot in my stomach helpful? I mean, I give it to you. This is a joke I make. My, my spiritual gift is worry. It's not on the list, but I'm sure God gave it to you. Nobody laughed at that. I should step back. I like to worry. It's my hobby. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I worry. It's a gift. You know, I'm kidding, right? But that is my problem. 
and I'm only worrying about things that hurt me. When I take, when, when, when Julie and I start talking or I start praying or I start reading these scriptures and I'm reminded that God has made me promises and those promises include his return and my eternity, all of a sudden I'm thinking about his return and my eternity and I'm not thinking about the present. It's where our focus is. And that's what he's describing here. We'll keep going. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You have peace. People start wondering what you're on because you're happy. Don't you know what's going on in the world? I do, I do. Aren't you worried? Nah. Because where I'm going is better. Then they can go away and talk about how freaky you are because you're too spiritually minded to be any worldly good. Knock yourself out. For the sinful nature always is hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. This is the scary line. And remember that those who don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't even belong to Him. Do I need to read that again or did you catch that? And Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you'll die. But through the power of the Spirit... You will put to death the deeds of your sinful nature and live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I've sat out there during text reading like that. I have no idea what that said. Let me just respond to that. You know exactly what it just said. It just doesn't fit your mantra. It says, as a child of God, the Holy Spirit is given to you. And if the Holy Spirit is given to you, if you're thankful for what He's done, you follow Him. And if you're following Him, you're not going to indulge in your flesh. But I struggle so much with adultery. Living with somebody that you're not married to is not a struggle. It's called conceding. We have so dumbed this thing down of living a life led by the Spirit that we don't even think about it anymore. We're talking about after salvation following the Spirit. Why is that so foreign in the church today? Because we've we talk about you and make you feel bad and then make you feel better and then make you feel bad. It's all about you. And I'm here to tell you that salvation was never about you. It was always about God. And the same as salvation is about God, so is sanctification. So is transformative process. It is the Holy Spirit in you. That's what he's describing. And when you read this, you kind of go, oh, I don't, well, but I'm still struggling. Okay, let's go back to Galatians 5, 16 to 21. All right, we're rounding third. We're doing good. It's going to get really heavy really quick if it hasn't already. So I say, verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. If you do, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Okay, let's pause. Let's think about this. If the Holy Spirit is your guide, you're not going to sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. He's holy. He won't sin. So if you want to know the antidote to your sin, follow God. Thank you, Pastor. That sounded very religious, but what do I need to do? Okay. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Great. Amen. Okay, so, pastor, that's great, but I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling with sin. I'm going to follow God, but how do I stop sinning? Follow God. And this isn't the only place it says it. 
Hebrews chapter 12. It tells us, don't get caught up in the sin that so easily entangles us. We do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus. What if the church is teaching us wrong on how to overcome sin? What if there's not five stages, st steps to overcoming sin? What if there's one? Follow God. Well, I don't see Him. Do you hear Him? No. Maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're not saved. Well, that's not very nice. You're a Baptist. Baptists believe... <laughs> sound like gun, gunfire. That's... <laughs> Always a little unnerving, but I'm following God, so it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, the, 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 fact is, the fact is that we, we sort of, we, we make excuses for all of this. I mean, we, we think, well, I, you know, how do I follow the Holy Spirit? And we don't take time to listen to Him. I posted something yesterday that I thought was really, really powerful, and that is, you know, when you go to Scripture expecting what God's going to say to you, you can't hear what He's going to say to you. You've already decided what He's going to say to you. This is a real relationship. If Julie and I are having a fight, which has never, ever happened, come on, that's a joke. You're a little tired. The weather's too nice. But if Julie and I are having a fight, and both of us separate for an hour and say, we're going to come back in one hour, and we're going to talk through this. But both of us go, and for one hour, all we think about is how right we are. She goes to her corner and thinks about how right she is. And I go to my corner, and I think about how right I am, and how she is in, uh, affecting my life. And she's thinking about how I'm affecting her life negatively. And we don't think about each other. We're not going to resolve that fight, no matter how long we talk. And it's the same with God. If you're coming to God to tell Him what you expect Him to do in your life, then you're not coming to God, you're telling God. And even in much of evangelical church, you're being told that the problem with what you want is that you're not praying right. I'm here to tell you, they're right. You're not praying right. You're demanding, and He's the God. We need to bow more. There's nothing wrong with praying that, God's, that, that, that you're healthy. Jesus prayed Take this cup from me. But he ended it, not my will, yours be done. You see, the problem with the believer today is not sin. Sin has been removed. It's trust. Do I trust God to do good for me? And if you've read the Scripture, you have to answer no. God did not do good by Stephen when he allowed him to be stoned to death. But if your whole life is about living your best life now, you'll never follow the Spirit. You'll follow the Spirit as He does what you want Him to do. And when He doesn't, you're going to go sin because you're really living for your flesh. Does that make sense? What God is calling, what Paul is calling for here is for us to follow Him. And if you are controlled by your sinful nature, verse 9, let's jump down there. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Uh, I've got to make sure I'm on the right purse. Heart. I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong section. Let's jump down. Verse 16 again. Kevin, I'm thinking of Kevin who's putting these up there. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Paul answers why. Because these two forces in verse 17 are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of the sin nature, the results are very clear. Okay, here we go. We're going to call these the fruit of the flesh. So basically, this is not instructive, it's reflective. Often, when you hear the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to get into in a minute, taught, it's like, so be loving. 
So be kind. You've got to be more patient with people because that's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, why am I telling you to do it? You see, this passage is reflective. It's like a mirror. What Paul is not saying is, go do this. He's saying, look at this. The fruit of the flesh, if you're living not by the Spirit, but by the flesh, the sinful nature, the fruit of that is sexual immorality. And maybe you check that off. I'm not doing that. Impurity, not doing that. Lustful pleasures. 25,000 Shades of Grey was only an interesting movie. I didn't get lustful in it, so I'm okay there. I mean, think about how we rationalize it. Idolatry. Well, I have no false gods before me except myself. I have the right to be treated, fill in the gap. How about this one? And I know this really ticks some of you off. How about the fact that you're told regularly that you have the right to the personal pursuit of happiness? I believe that's in the preamble of the Constitution or something. Well, I just want to make it clear that when you were crucified with Christ, Jesus said, if anybody come after me, he must deny himself his personal pursuit of happiness and follow me. I am so sorry that guys like me keep telling you you can have a better life than everybody else. I'm here to tell you it's going to cost you everything. Once you're saved, following the Holy Spirit is going to cost you everything. But what you gain for the next two trillion years is well worth it. Just to be in the presence of the Holy One who loves you as ugly as you are. That's going to be the title of my book. You're uglier than you thought. (laughs) You're laughing because you know there's something to that. You see, God didn't save you because you're beautiful. God saved you because he loved you and made a promise to redeem fallen mankind. The beauty comes from what God does in you and through you. What verse are we at? 20. uh, Let's see, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Sure glad the church doesn't struggle with that today. Jealousy, outbursts of anger. When you're cut off in traffic in Lovekin, when there's four cars in front of you, the traffic jam. Selfish ambition, that's a fruit of the flesh. Dissension, divisiveness. Envy, drunkenness we know, wild parties we know, and other sins like these, that's the problem. Now we just open the cattle gate. You know, when you're serving yourself. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anybody who lives that sort of life won't inherit the kingdom of God. Calm down. I know some of you went, oh man, I did three of these last week. Does that mean I'm not saved? In the Greek. Okay, now this is not giving you an excuse, but this is the fact. In the Greek, that word living this sort of life, that phrase is a reference to settle into. In other words... I've had believers or people who have been in our church who have taught who are actively living with somebody they're not married with. And in some cases, they're living with somebody who's somebody else's wife. And their question is not whether it's right or wrong. Their just question is, do I believe in eternal security? And my answer is, for those who are truly saved, yes. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you've settled into this and you don't have any conviction and this isn't a problem for you, you have every reason to believe you're not saved. My dear brothers who are struggling with pornography, if you're not struggling with pornography, and what I mean by that is you're living a pornographic lifestyle, you should be questioning whether the Holy Spirit lives within you. Now, if you walk into a strip club and you feel the Holy Spirit beating the crap out of your heart, that's a sign that God's there. But if you can beat your spouse verbally, ladies, 
and I'm trying to mix it up here because I know women are into porn and men abuse their wives and women do, so just don't be a gender watcher here. I'm just saying it. But ladies, if you're constantly nagging your husband in the name of God, but you don't serve him, that's the fruit of the flesh. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. And if you have no conviction over that, you should question whether or not you're doing it on God's behalf or you're just using God as a, maybe the cross as a hammer. You see, that's where Satan does his best work, family. Satan does his best work among us as believers in getting us to do it in the name of Jesus. Isn't that what we're doing nationalistically right now? We're not going to let those evil Democrats, those atheistic, anti-God people take it over our country. So in the name of Jesus, we're going to get guns and bullets and everything. And you're kind of like, whoa. Family, it's, it's God's kingdom. Vote and go to Taco Bell. Because voting and freaking out doesn't make you win. What makes you win is being a child of God. Because this is temporary. We lost Daryl Douglas last month, right? And I miss him. But the truth is, we didn't lose Daryl. God called him home, his task was done. Right now, the last thing on Daryl's mind is worrying about the United States government. He's still worried about UFOs, but that's all. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is, you guys, that we are living too much for now. When in reality, we have been left here to serve him now and rest in him later. And how do I do that? Not by working harder or being trained, but by following the Spirit. Verse 21. He explained what the fruit of the flesh was. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he continues in verse 22. But, on the other hand, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is not for you to accomplish or achieve. Okay? The word produces means produces, right? And who is doing the producing here? The Spirit. So next time a pastor gets up here and goes, we're going to do a study on the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to teach you how to be godly in your life. And he starts listing them and describing them and telling you how to be more loving and kind, you need to immediately go, wow, this is legalism. I know we think legalism is not drinking and not dancing and smoking. I'd like to go on the other side and say legalism is telling you how to have fake fruit. In 1970, which is my formative upgrowing years, you guys remember this because I've asked you before. Remember those white bowls with the bubbles on the bottom? They were, they were uh, I don't know, they were milk glass. Thank you, Julie and Barbara, all these women are all like, hey, Bilka, sorry. You're not living in the spirit. Be nice to me. Just a simple guy. So, and in that, my mom would put fake fruit. Do you guys remember that? The grapes and the apples. Then you wouldn't have to buy it. You just left it in there. And the grapes looked real. But the problem was, I like when my mom wasn't in there to pull those off and chew them. So did you, right? And it went from that to the phone cord. Now I'm aging myself. I would chew on the phone cord. But let's go back to the fruit. The problem with chewing on plastic fruit in the white bowls is it had no nutritional value. It was just plastic fruit. And if I were smart when I was a little boy and I chewed on those, my mom could have said, would you stop doing that? You're ruining my fruit. But mom, I'm supposed to eat fruit. I'm supposed to have fruit, and this is fruit, mom. Here, watch me eat the plastic apple. <laughs> you know, It's fruit, right? I mean, that is what it is. If you look at the, you know, before you buy it, it's fruit. Maybe fake fruit, but it's fruit. And we can make the case that eating fruit, even fake fruit, is better than eating no fruit at all. And I know what you're thinking. No, it's not. And neither is it faking Christianity. 
Neither is it faking love, faking joy, faking peace. See, the point Paul is making here is not for you to start doing these things. He's saying, look in the mirror, and if you're not doing these things, you need to submit to the Holy Spirit as the guide of your life. That's exactly what this is about. And the fruit of him being in charge is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no laws against these things. That's why you don't have to worry about the law. If you're following the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of his presence is leaking out of every or orifice, every, every pore. He's there because he's presence. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified him there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This may be shocking and uncomfortable for some, but to be truthful with you, it is not complicated. It just doesn't fit our idea of making sure we are saved. See, we want to make sure we're saved. So we want to live like saved people are supposed to live so that we can be confident in our hearts and go to bed at night and not worry about not being saved. Well, there's a much more secure answer to this, and it's not being a better person. It's following the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. And you're probably wondering, well, how do I do that? It starts by telling him you want him to be in control. If you're looking in the mirror right now going, wow, maybe I'm not saved, then instead of going and, and, and looking in your old Bibles for that card where you got saved with, how about going back to the Savior? It is so weird what we've done in the church today. We go, I'm going to go back and I'm going to make sure I remember when I was seven and I prayed the prayer. And here, this proves it. That is not going to get you into heaven. You have a Savior who is waiting to have a conversation with you. What is keeping you from talking to Him? If you are living more by the flesh than by the Spirit, it really doesn't matter this morning whether you're saved or not. What matters is where are you going to go to get confidence? Go to Him! Paul in this book actually says, I don't know what to do with you. You accepted the gospel, but you're acting like you don't believe in it. I don't know what to think of you anymore. And that's where the church is. I don't know what to think. I actually live in this community. I go out and, and I eat among people here. And people who go to church can be jerks in this community. Just because their waitress didn't treat them the way they thought they should be treated. All you've got to do is look at how we text, how we post. It is an ugly, ugly Christian church if this is what we are. We are called to be led by the Spirit and we are not acting like it. And I'm not picking on you, I'm picking on us. Because Christianity has become a movement in this country, not a transformative process to the power of God and then the Holy Spirit. Because if it were, we would be behaving differently. 70% of people in this country claim to be born-again believers. If that were the case, we wouldn't have to make pornography illegal. People wouldn't be buying it, and the market would be tiny. You, you know what I'm saying? All I'm saying is, all I want you to do this morning, and all God is saying to me is, Mark, don't go back to the law. Don't, don't be moved by me and start acting like me. WWJD is in your flesh. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you just to get on your knees and tell me I can have today. And that means every five minutes because that's how often I struggle. I, I'm a pastor. It's every 10 minutes. And, and, and when I do, instead of going, oh, I did it. Oh, Richard, I, I go, God, I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. And I have to be careful even when I say I'm sorry because that, that sends me back into my legalistic roots. So I do say I'm sorry, but mostly I say thank you. Thank you for even paying for that stupid sin. What I said to Julie, what I said to the church, I'm so, that was so wrong. Thank you for your grace. Let's get back in the game. 
direct me. And what's weird is, while I grew up being taught never go to movies, never go to a bar, never, 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 now I'm living like, as I go to these places, open doors. And no, I don't go to strip clubs. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, thank you, Chad, for laughing. I just want to make it clear. What I'm talking about is when I get up in the morning and I get pulled over by a cop for speeding down the, the loop. Instead of getting mad at the cop for catching me doing something illegal, maybe, I, maybe God has a divine appointment with that cop. You, you know, they always walk up, and, and Jack, I, I mean no offense, but why do cops always ask you why you've been pulled over? You're the one pulling me over. <laughs> but it's not smart to say that. You should just say, you know, um, if you're... <laughs> I have no idea, officer. Well, you were going 172 miles an hour in a 30. Yes, I do know why you pulled me over, and I'd like to thank you for that. Talking about a coronary right there. They're doing their job. How about praying for President Biden? That guy's not healthy. And we're using that as a bat instead of an impetus to pray. And I got news for you. If you just freaked out because you're a Democrat, I got news for you. Trump ain't healthy either. There's something wrong with these people. I know what's wrong with these people. They're not following the Holy Spirit. And I am. So God's changing me. And it's a weird change. I don't know where I fit politically. And God's going, uh, you're, you're my citizen. You're an ambassador here. So you just keep following me. Do you want me to vote? Oh, I want you to vote. But I can avoid taxes, right? Because taxes are good. Pay taxes. What if they get pay your taxes? Now, if they, illegal, if they make guns outlawed, make sure you bury them in the backyard. That's an exception. Because the Holy Spirit's counting on you having guns when Washington marches on Texas. You're laughing because we've gotten kind of silly, haven't we? God's got this. The question is, do we trust Him? And if we do, then here is this morning's exhortation to you. This upside-down kingdom we're adopted into, last week we saw the upside-down value system. We love our enemies. We actually pray for those who persecute us. And in this upside-down kingdom, our work, work ethic is different. It's not work harder or work better or figure it out. It's actually look to God. That goes against everything you're made of. That goes against everything we think. I'm supposed to work harder. And God's going, no, no. I just want you to follow me. Just follow me. Wow. Well, if I'm going to follow you, you're going to have to tell me what you would do. Think about it. If I'm going to follow you, God, I need you to instruct me on what you are going to do. No, he doesn't. He needs you to follow him. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? It means when tea gets poured on you and you start feeling the anger go up into your knees, you go, God, help me, be, help me follow your spirit in this. And the more you talk to him about the woman who poured or the man who poured tea on you, the more you're not thinking about that person, you're thinking about God. And you actually go, how's your day? I mean, it's not normal to pour tea. You know, this is going to affect your tip, honey. I'm 55 now. I can say honey. Do you get what I'm saying here? Can I close in prayer now? John, not you. You haven't been here long enough. I've got a lot of catching up to do, buddy. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus... This is impossible for us to do without your inhabiting Holy Spirit. So what we pray for is not more morality or better parenting or better marriages. We pray for lives surrendered to the Holy Spirit's control. 
And I pray that the men and women listen to this morning, live, archived, online, in this room, that we, Father, that our prayer today wouldn't be help me to look at porn less, but instead, help me to look at you more. Help me to follow you. No matter what the cost, help me to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is beautiful outside today. Go to Bible study. Go enjoy the day outside. Love you guys.